a man out on an evening hunt becomes hunted by extraterrestrials. And then we meet a couple who have come up with the ultimate money-making scheme. Take over an entire school and ransom the students off one by one. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Dennis. Dennis is running in. He's like clapping for himself. He's doing a little clap, but everyone's clapping with him, so it's totally fine. Dennis, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You can't support the Patreon. I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. You done clapping, Dennis? He's nodding his head. And I'm going to throw him the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We are going to Italy. Dirigible is flying through the night sky. Specifically, we're going to a place known as the River Po. We don't know exactly what location he's at with this story. We don't even have the man's name. So, you know, those are usually usually signs that something may not be entirely on the up and up. However, let's just pretend it is. Let's just pretend it is. This is from... Think about it, docs.com, and they've given us a lot of really good stuff in the past, so. And they got it from an author known as Maurizio Verga. So as Dennis is flying that dirigible, it's super dark outside, it's all nighttime and stuff, there's a moon. Dennis is flying us by the dead rabbit dirigible. We are going to do a quick and quiet parachute out of this thing. We're not going to take a chance to land this dirigible because we are going to hostile territory. So everyone's got their parachutes on. We descend into the forest floor below. And through the foliage, we see a man. We're going to call him Jack. We don't have his real name. Jack has his rifle at the ready. He's moving through the brush. He's looking for something to hunt. He's looking for something to kill. Scan in the forest for any movement. He'll At this point, it's been a long day. At this point, he'll shoot anything. He'll shoot a leaf if it means he gets to kill something. What he does is he starts to see a thick fog roll in. And inside the fog, he sees about five people standing around some sort of large gray object. And he's kind of looking through the fog. In a bazaar, imagine you're in that situation. You're in the middle of the forest. You see five, you see spooky fog. That should be your first sign that something's up. Then you see five people. There's always that hesitation there because really what he's seeing is five humanoids standing in the fog surrounding a gray object. What do you think it would be? Obviously... You're hearing this on a paranormal podcast, so you know where it's going. But for whatever reason, he thinks it's five incredibly short people looking for their dog. There's no part of that makes makes any sense, unless their dog is a metallic oval. I think they're good, bro. But anyways, he goes, oh, they must be looking for their dog, because I I have no concept of what a dog looks like. He pulls out his dog whistle, his ultrasound dog whistle, and is thinking, oh, I'll just blow this whistle, then everything will be okay. So he goes... You can't really hear the dog whistle, but your dog just went crazy. And then he sees a bright light shining towards him. Like a guy is moving a spotlight into position. Okay, fine, whatever. You're going to put me in the spotlight? I'll get my little little hat and cane, do a little dance for you. That's what you would think. Again, not if you were in the forest, surrounded by spooky fog and an oval metallic dog. Finally, he comes to his senses. As they're putting this beam on him, he gets his gut reaction to fall to the ground. He doesn't know exactly what that 
is, but something in him, some instinct in him says, that's a weapon. He jumps to the ground, and as he's laying on the forest floor, he hears, he hears the beam emit a sizzling sound just above his head. And it's just, and he begins screaming, shut it off, shut it off. Also, where's your dog? Is your dog over there? Are you trying to sign the heat ray on your dog? He begins yelling at him to shut it off, shut it off. They still have this beam on him. So what are you going to do? You're going to do what any earthling would do when they're faced with what he now knows as some sort of sci-fi alien presence. He gets his gun ready. Takes aim. And shoots where the light is. Because he knows someone's holding it. And he knows whoever is holding it is trying to do some bodily damage. When he shoots it, there's actually an explosion. He's like, okay, job well done. I may have just killed five people looking for their dog who had a really loud light, or I've just stopped an alien invasion. Three more beams of light shoot towards him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a firefight now. He begins shooting at those lights as well. And each time he's able to hit near one of the lights, there's an explosion. When he finally hits the third light, when he's finally blowing up their third weapon, he notices that three of these little dudes are now running through the forest towards him. It's going to get <laughs> it's going to get hand to hand here in a second, but he's not rolling hand to hand. He readies that rifle. He opens fire and they're shooting these three little dudes are running towards him. And when I say little, they're like 4 feet tall. They're not like they're not Smurfs. He's not blasting brainy Smurf in the stomach. He's like, "Uh, as these three guys are running towards him, he just blows one of them away. <laughs> he just shoots one of them right in the chest. Arrgh! And he falls backwards. Now, it didn't seem that he killed him. The term that was used that it stopped him. So I don't think he like expl- I don't think he exploded and disappeared, but he definitely took the shot. And whatever the damage may have done to him internally, as a rifle round you think would do to a living organism. He seemed to be in one piece. Wasn't, he wasn't having the best day, but his other two comrades picked up this little guy and began dragging him back to the ship. So what does Jack do? Jack has now engaged these alien forces. He blew up their weapons. He shot one of them square in the chest. Now they're retreating. Hey, this is Earth first, right? Jack's not going to let it in right there. He begins to open fire on their vehicle. At this point, he's starting to realize... It's not a dog. It's probably a UFO. Those were most likely aliens shooting at me with laser guns. He begins to open fire on the vehicle itself. Because he's just hoping it blows up. And then he can take his time. The real hunt will have begun. He'll hunt the deadliest game in the solar system. Which is aliens. We're the deadliest game on Earth. He begins shooting at the UFO and starts to hear a pating, 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 pating. His bullets are reflecting off its metallic hull. The aliens, if they can pee their pants or pee in their pants now, they get inside the UFO, they get everything powered up, and the UFO flies away. So that story took place on November 26, 1972. I forgot to mention that in the beginning. So I'm mentioning it after the story, after you've already pictured it, with him wearing modern-day clothes. He's wearing FUBU. No, it's 1972. I think it's an interesting story. I always love story where humans open fire on aliens. I wish it happened more often. You have to wonder what would happen if he hadn't had his gun. I mean, he probably would have gotten away if he wasn't blowing his dog whistle. And actually, that's an even more interesting point. Usually with aliens, they overpower humans pretty easily. 
especially when you're talking about five to one. We've talked about stories where you have like 30 KGB troops versus five aliens and the five aliens just mopped them up. We recently covered that story with those Russians on that island that were having a firefight with aliens and the Russians retreated because the bulletproof giants showed up. So that's that's the most intriguing description that you can give for that story. Check it out. I don't remember what episode it was. I think it was KGB versus aliens. KGB versus ET part two. I'll put it in the show notes. But you have this. That's really weird that he was able to engage them. I'm wondering if the hypersonic whistle, if the dog whistle disoriented them. We've talked so much about aliens having sonic powers, having the ability to actually disrupt your 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 vibrations the way your mind think we covered that in an episode are gray aliens actually evolved dolphins in the future i'll put that in the show notes as well and the fact that the dolphin uses that sonic attack to freeze you and we know from alien lore that aliens can freeze you in place the idea was it was some sort of sonic attack what if a dog whistle eliminated all of that what if a dog whistle actually disoriented them Interesting. I didn't think about that when I was prepping this story. Maybe that should be a new UFO thing. Everyone, if you're a real UFO investigator and you listen to Dead Rabbit Radio because the two go hand in hand, I think we should all start wearing dog whistles, dude. That'd be super dope. And people are like, hey, why do you have that dog whistle? You looking for a dog or something? And I'll go mind your own business. <laughs> mind your own business, first off. Secondly, yes, I'd love a dog if you have one, a little puppy maybe, or an old rescue dog. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picky. And then three, then you put your hands on their shoulder and you go in three. It's a, it's a UFO thing you wouldn't understand. And they're like, I don't understand anything you just said. I definitely don't understand the UFO thing, but none of it makes sense. And you walk away all quiet. As we're walking away, Dennis, call in that carboner copter. We are headed out to Cokeville, Wyoming. Helicopter's flying. Dennis is the first one to have an official Dead Rabbit Radio dog whistle. It's emblazoned with the logo. I don't even know. I don't even know how much those things cost. It may be a couple hundred dollars. But Dennis has bought one already. He's blowing it the whole time. We're like, ah, that's not a dog whistle. That's a regular whistle. He has his headphones on. His helicopter pilot headphones on. He can't hear us. We're like, ah. But eventually, Dennis is done torturing us. We're flying out to Cokeville, Wyoming. Now, I came across this story in a roundabout way. Yesterday's, was it? No, no, no. It was Tuesday's episode. I talked about the insane asylum in Milledgeville, Georgia. And in in that episode, somebody said, uh, Weird America, Weird America, to make it short, said that once there was a school shooting where a teacher put a bullet in backwards in the guy's gun, and then the kids, t- it was super bizarre. And I wasn't able to verify it. That that's ever happened in human history, that someone's ever taken a gun from someone, put a bullet in backwards, handed it back to the guy, and then a bunch of kids beat the guy up. I couldn't verify that. But I did start looking. I looked for it. I looked really hard for it. And I found some interesting factoids. They're small facts about school shootings, stuff that I had never known before. And then we're going to get into a truly bizarre tale of a ransom event at an elementary school. I found this website. Again, it's a website that you wouldn't think you'd find this information on. It was k12academics.com. It was a website about school stuff. And you can understand they'd have stuff about like school shooter safety. But this one actually had a list of every notable school shooting. And you're like, Jason, that makes sense too because people are going to look at the psychology of it. Yeah, but when the list starts in the year 1764... You're going way back. This is a list of every United States school shooting. And obviously, it's not really everyone. Because when I went to high school in the Bay Area, it was pretty common. But it was never in the news because it was gang-related. 
So people just got shot. So the, here's some interesting factoids about this stuff before we get into this other story. The very first school shooting, like I said, was in 1764. July 26, 1764, where Greencastle, Pennsylvania is now. Four members of the Lenape tribe went into a schoolhouse and killed a teacher and 10 kids. That's considered the very first school shooting. Even though it was like territorial war and things like that, they're like, this is the first time you ever had a school targeted in the United States. It, it became an issue. Not so much. There were a couple school shootings in between that and 1866, but the big problem was every all the kids were bringing guns to school. So much so that the New York Times ran an article in 1866 saying, hey, listen... Your kids can't be bringing guns to school. That's not something that we should allow as a civilized society. We get it. Everyone has a gun. They're out squirrel hunting and stuff like that. But don't bring them to school. And then the New York Times adds, or if the other student's parents aren't going to restrict their gun use, no joke, it gives this advice to parents. It's saying if the other kids are packing guns, we have this. Quote, we advise them to seek that their own boys are properly armed with the most approved and deadly pistol." And that there may be an equal chance, at least, of their shooting as of being shot. So if you can't beat them, smoke them. Basically, was what the New York Times is saying. If you can't control other people's kids, arm your kids up. And one more factoid, in case you're ever on a really bizarre episode of Jeopardy. 1987, the American School Health Association did a survey of boys in America bringing weapons to school. Three, in 1987, 3% of all boys admitting to bringing a gun to school at least once in the school year. And 1% of all American boys brought a gun to school daily. So I don't know if those stats still hold up. Again, a lot of times when we look at school shootings, we look at mass shootings. But gang-related shootings happen all the time. They just don't make the news, unfortunately, because they're so common. There's also, if you look at this list, I'll have it in the show notes, there's a lot of girls. And that's another thing that gets left out of the psychology of a school shooter. A ton of girls are doing this as well. Mass shootings and just targeted shootings. Going in, killing their boyfriend. Going in and killing a girl who made fun of her hair. Happens a lot. But Dennis, we are done with our factoids about these horrible events. Now we're going to take a deep dive into one of them. Sorry, Dennis is like, oh, dang it. Dennis calling that carpenter copter. We are headed out to Cokeville Elementary School. As Dennis is landing in the carpenter copter and we're hopping out, we see people standing outside of the Cokeville Elementary School. We see David Young, his wife, Doris Young, and their daughter, Penny. They're standing outside the school, and David appears to be pushing some sort of shopping cart in front of him. We see a brief interaction between David, who's 43 years old, and Doris, his 47-year-old wife, We see an interaction between them and their daughter. And after a brief conversation, they leave the daughter outside. She's a young teenager. Doris and David walk into the school. Penny thinks about it for a second. She's going to go back to their van. But instead, she decides to alert authorities. She takes off running through the town of Cokeville. A long time ago, in Cokeville... David was a cop. He was actually the only cop on the beat. It's not the biggest town in the world. Otherwise, he would be the burliest man alive if he could patrol the streets of San Francisco all by himself. But he got fired after only six months for misconduct. So after he gets fired from there, he goes out to Arizona and he meets Doris, who already has the daughter, Penny. And he tries to start a new life for himself, but he can't 
let the past slights go. Plus, he needs money. So he comes up with this plan, but he has to test it first. He somehow comes into possession of a school bus and blows it to pieces. A hot, steamy Arizona desert night is lit up by an explosive fireball. David now knows that his plan will work. And here's his plan. Go back to the town that fired him. Bring this type of bomb into a school and take the entire place hostage. Two million dollars per student, he tells Doris. Parents are going to pay. And if the parents don't pay, the government will pay. In fact... Not only do I want $2 million per student, I want a personal phone call with Ronald Reagan. Doris is like, what does that have to do with anything? He's like, I don't know, I just think he's cool. But I want to talk to Ronald Reagan, I want $2 million per student. This is totally going to work. Let's get Penny in on this. Let's make it a family activity. Now, they do recruit Penny to do this, but when they get to the school, she's like, no, I'm good. I don't want to do anything that involves a bomb or you lunatics or possibly hurting these kids. So they leave her there. I'm assuming they thought she would be more loyal than running down the street to get help. May 16th, Doris and David walk into the school, and David is pulling his little shopping cart. It wasn't like a full-on Walmart shopping cart. It was like one of those things you see old ladies or homeless people push. It's like half a shopping cart. He pushes that into the school, and while he's walking in, Doris just kind of takes off into the school and starts going, hi guys, hey everybody, there's a, there's a surprise at this classroom down the hall, and the kids are like, yay, surprise, 1986, right, they didn't have any security stuff, you could just show up at a school and go, surprise, and everyone liked it, she began emptying classes out, guess what guys, there's a surprise down the hall, and they're like, yay, and the teacher's like, yeah, I love surprises, this isn't suspicious at all, She ends up rounding up 136 students and 15 staff members into this back room. David, on the other hand, is talking to the office people, and he has a zine. Again, 1986, he published his manifesto called Zero Equals Infinity. And he throws it down on the counter, and he begins giving this bizarre speech about his life mission, which happens to be connected to the bomb he's carrying in the little cart. But he just then takes off through the school as well, towards that back classroom. There was 136 kids, 15 staff. There was three other people there who didn't work out of the school, who just happened to be passing by. One of them was a UPS driver. Someone was there just applying for a job. By this point, Penny has reached town hall, and she has alerted authorities. Listen, my parents are nuts. I mean, to say the least. They built a bomb. They're in the school right now. The authorities are rushing out to the, to the scene. And again, 1986, they didn't have... The rules before Columbine was you secure a perimeter, you negotiate with the people inside. Columbine was the active shooter. It was just someone trying to cause as much chaos as possible. So now they go into the scene. But this does follow the thing where they surround the school. And in this situation, it is a hostage situation. They do want to negotiate. They want their $2 million per kid. That's a lot of money. That's a ton of money for any kid. Richie Rich. Richie Rich's dad would be like, uh, you can hang out there a little bit. Let, let, let me figure some stuff out. Maybe we can talk him down to like $750,000. They're there for two and a half hours. And there's one thing about taking a bunch of children hostage. They're scared, obviously. Everyone's scared. But they're kids, so they're super bored. They're like, for the first 10 minutes, they're like, oh no, oh no, existential dread. And then after that, they're like, uh, 
Come on. Can we play? Do we, can we invent a Nintendo Game Boy and then play it? Can we watch a movie? They didn't have VCRs. They didn't have VCRs in schools back then. Oh, come on. The teacher's all reading them science books. They're all boo, boo. They're super bored. They're super bored because they're all trapped in this one room. And yes, they are scared. But at the same time, two and a half hours to a kid is like two and a half years to an adult. And in a hostage situation, everything's like two and a half years. Because you're just super stressed. But the kids are super bored. The teachers are trying to figure out games to play while there's a bomb in the room. Kids are like, can we play hide and go seek? They're like, as long as you don't hide behind the bomb, Jimmy. He's like, oh man, that's the best hiding spot. The bomb, and let me explain this too. The bomb was created to destroy school buses. So it was incredibly powerful. But that wasn't all. You had a milk carton full of gas. It was basically designed to spread flame. It was a very, very personal destructive device. It did blow up that bus, but it was mostly just to cause flame to come shooting out in all directions. It was a milk jug full of gasoline. And then underneath it, it was wired up to these two tuna cans that were filled with aluminum powder and flour. So when the bomb ignited, it would spread the flour and the aluminum dust and it would actually make the flame like more sticky and spread easier. It's not just a bunch of flame gasolines, just kind of... This would actually spread fire to all the walls. If you got the powder on you, you're not having a good day, especially if it's on fire. It's all wired up, and then there's a wire going from the cart to David's hand. He's wearing a dead man trigger on his hand. So you got to be very careful. If he starts moving his hand too much, if he starts doing the robot, he's like, kids, you bored? Let me show you my dance moves. He couldn't do that. It was a dead man switch. If he moved his arm too far up, it would actually detonate the bomb. It was a safety measure. But that way, if he got injured, he could still trigger the bomb. So he has this dead man switch on. Kids are not allowed to hide around the bomb. Kids are getting super bored, though. So the teachers are having to come up with games to play in this room. And at one point, one of the teachers goes, this is just kind of a creepy moment and a very creepy story. The teacher goes, hey, does anyone here have a birthday? I don't actually don't think she said that. She's like, what's the most depressing thing I can bring up right now? Was anyone born today? She does realize that one of the kids had a birthday that day. And they're like, okay, let's just have a normal day here. Happy birthday to you. And all the kids are singing, Happy birthday to you. And as the class is singing this song, all of a sudden they hear, Happy birthday, dear Jimmy. And the class gets a little quiet. David and Doris are now singing, Happy birthday to you. And many more, (laughs) unless they detonate this bomb. That would be terrifying, dude. Like, they're trying to have this sense of normalcy, and they're singing this song, and then the two hostage takers are like, we know the words to this song. Talk about a ruined birthday. You got a lot of stuff going on here. They're making the phone calls. They've made their demands, $2 million per kids, plus a phone call to Reagan, who I most assume was napping at this point. Now, one of the things, this was a design... Of the bomb. It was supposed to leak gasoline. So the whole time it's just dropping little droplets of gasoline. So again, can make the fire spread because you carry it around the classroom. You push it around the classroom, it's spreading gasoline. But in a contained room for two and a half hours, the, the smell's starting to get to people. Especially little kids because they're closer to the ground. Like an adult can stand up and go, 
Oh, that gasoline is six feet away from me. I'm okay. <laughs> Little kids are sitting down. They're like, oh, it's nap time, isn't it? It's nap time. And they're like, no, 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 don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep, Jimmy. The teachers are like, dude, it totally smells like gasoline in here. These kids are getting too many fumes. Can we open some windows? Can we open some windows? And David and Doris kind of look at each other and they go, yeah, it is kind of getting a little woozy in here. <laughs> Once those bats showed up and I had to fight them off with a candy cane, I realized I'd probably been inhaling too much gas. So yeah, go ahead and open the windows. So the teachers kind of look at each other. They're, they know a little more about science than these two guys. They're like, okay, great. We'll open the windows. David goes, you know what? It's been two and a half hours. You know me, Doris. Every time I sing happy birthday, I have to go to the bathroom. It's just a weird quirk of mine. I got to go to the bathroom, but I can't take this bomb in here with me. So I'm going to give you the dead man trigger. Put it on your little finger there. Doop. You know the drill. If they start shooting, you can detonate the bomb. You can kill all these kids. Bye, kids. See you guys later. I got to go poop. Kids all laugh because he said poop, and then they get all scared because, you know, the bomb. He goes in, and he's pooping. And the kids are getting restless. They're, they've run out of games to play. They're super bored. They are scared. They start kind of like pushing each other closer to the bomb. They're like, you go there. No, 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 you go there. The teachers are trying to get him to calm down. Now, in a lot of schools, they have this thing, elementary schools, where if you're, you, instead of trying to talk over the children and get louder and louder over the children, you put, you do a hand signal. So you put your fingers to your forehead. That's a really popular one. And then the, as the kids hear the room get quieter and quieter, they look at the teacher. Teacher has her hands on her forehead. It's like usually like a two finger salute or they'll hold it up. And that way the kids will go. Instead of yelling at kids, it's a way to get kids to quiet down. So the teacher's doing that and all the kids are holding their fingers up to their head. And Doris is sitting there and a teacher is fanning herself. And she's like, oh my God, it's so hot in here. I don't know if it's the fumes of the gasoline, but it's really, really hot. And Doris goes, it is hot in here. And as she, either subconsciously, because everyone was doing it, or because the teacher put the thought in her head, or because the beads of sweat rolling down her forehead, Doris reaches up to wipe away the sweat, and the room goes pitch black. People in the room, they've done interviews with survivors of this, they said all light was gone in an instant. Because when this bomb exploded, obviously you have the sound and you have the shockwave, but the first thing you realize is you can't see. The entire place is filled with smoke. The only thing you can see are flickers of flame around the classroom. You have the cops surrounding the building who heard it and, again, are assuming the absolute worst. But the people in that room, they don't have time to assume anything. Teachers just begin grabbing into the darkness, finding little people, and throwing them out the opened windows. Someone just grabbed a bunch of the kids and pushed them through a door into the hallway. Go, 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 go! They were doing whatever they could do to get these kids out. After the explosion happens, David comes out of the bathroom. And even though it's pitch black in there, he knows what happened. He heard the bomb. He doesn't know why she detonated it. But when he comes out, sees that the bomb's been detonated, the plan's over. They're not going to get any money at all now. Doris turns and looks at David, and David shoots her, killing her on the spot. He then shoots a teacher in the darkness. He opens fire in the darkness. And after that, goes back into the bathroom and kills himself. Not a single student or staff member was killed during this event. You did have people get burned, but they were totally fine. You did have people get shot, but no long-lasting injuries. Nobody died because of this. An interesting note to the story, and this is where we start to see things kind of turn a bit. You have all these kids jumping out of the window and running across the lawn. 
And when the cops are coming in and they're securing the area and they're interviewing people and they're surveying it, they find Doris's body on the lawn. They know that she was shot in the classroom. They know she was dead in the classroom, but she's on the lawn. Now, you would think a teacher just trying to grab people and throw them out the window must have grabbed this adult woman and also threw her out the window. It's possible. That's the most likely scenario. Let's take a look at some of the other things that were surrounding this event. When the police went in and they were analyzing the crime scene, they took the bomb and they were able to reconstruct it as best as they could. They go, it definitely caused a lot of damage. It could have been way worse. The containers of aluminum powder and flour, they didn't ignite. They said part of it was the gasoline was actually dripping on because the cans were opened up was dripping on the powder, so it was turning some of it into a paste. So it would have been harder to ignite anyways. But police also noticed a weird thing, because he'd built this bomb before. He knew how to do it. The wires going from the milk jug to the tuna cans to ignite those had been cut. Both of them had been cut. And when the police asked everyone in the room, hey, did you cut them? Were you able to like get a little pair of safety scissors, a little pair of plastic scissors? And you're like, whoops, I tripped. And then you clip both of them. People in the classroom are like, no, none of us were ever able to clip the wires of the bomb, nor would we, because we don't know what it would do. Penny didn't do it. The cops don't know how the bomb became sabotaged, but it was cut. It wasn't ripped, wasn't worn out from the explosion. They can tell somebody snipped the line. Maybe Doris did it. Maybe Doris had a change of heart in the end. You could think that, but again, let's take a look at some of these other stories that happened with inside this classroom. And this is where it goes from just being a true crime story of two bumbling idiots who try to make some quick bucks at the expense of other people. And it's something a little more paranormal. As the children are being interviewed about this, they would say things like, yeah, I was scared. I was scared at first, but then the angels showed up. There was an angel in the room and I knew nothing would happen to me. Multiple children said that they saw angels in that room with them. Some of them said, I could look over all of my classmates and each of them had an angel floating over their head. Some of them reported seeing just a beautiful woman in white standing in the corner of the room, peacefully watching the scene. Some of them saw a beautiful woman in white standing against a wall. And she was beckoning to the kids, come closer to the windows. Come closer to the windows. None of the adults reported any of this stuff. But the kids all believed that guardian angels were there. And the kids who did move and sit closer to the windows, one, were able to breathe more. Which, yes, as a skeptic, (laughs) as a skeptic, breathing in gasoline for two and a half hours can make you hallucinate angels. But putting the skeptics part aside... The kids who were sitting closer to the window, one, got fresh air more often, and two, were able to get out quicker. And that was, I forgot to mention this detail earlier, when they opened the windows, it actually diminished the power of the bomb, because more gasoline was leaking out than just sitting in that room. In fact, they said the bomb is capable of tearing up a school bus, but the way that the the classroom is not a school bus, it has just like a roof full of really cheap tile, probably a ton of asbestos above it. So the bomb just lifted the roof a bit, knocked a bunch of tiles down, set stuff on fire, but it didn't have that contained force. You had the windows open, you had a weaker structure surrounding the bomb. Had they done this in a portable? Had they done this 
in a more secure location. It could have been worse in a, like a concrete tile locker room. It could have done a lot more damage. But you have this whole sequence of events that led these people to bring this bomb into this area. And to be there for long enough, people were complaining about opening the windows and all of that. You can obviously chalk up the angel visions to the gasoline, but that doesn't solve who snipped the lines of the bomb. We know it wasn't David, because it was his plan. We can be kind of sure it wasn't Doris, because if why would Doris snip them? She was also in on this plan. But it could have been her. There's no one to say. But I have a... This put on our conspiracy caps here. An angel did it. An angel snipped those cables. Guardian angels led the course of events that day. Yes, it is absolutely tragic that it happened in the first place. And you could say, well, why didn't a guardian angel just give him a flat tire? Or have a cop randomly pull him over? I mean, sure, yes. But, but skipping that argument aside, it, the angels did it. They saved these children. They clipped those lines. They put in a sequence of events that led the bomb to being less powerful. Moving the kids closer to the window. And more importantly, giving the kids hope that everything was going to be okay by seeing their angelic protectors above them. And honestly, I think maybe an angel was the one who threw Doris's body on the grass. Doesn't sound super angelic. Angel's like, take that! But... You know what I mean? Like, in the end, even Doris was being saved. In the end, Doris, yeah, she was a despicable human being. She shouldn't have went along with the plan at all. But the angel saw some sort of grace in her to spare her body from the burning embers of that schoolroom. Didn't care about David. (laughs) Didn't care about David. But um, carried Doris out. There's so much school violence, not just in America, but around the world for all sorts of different reasons. They're all terrible reasons, but there's all sorts of different motivations would be the right word. There's, it happens so often that a lot of times we forget about it. Maybe that's the way it should be. Maybe we shouldn't want to remember these things because it can glorify the people who commit them. But at the same time, stories like this give us hope where a man and his wife bring a bomb into a school and not a single hostage is killed even though the bomb is detonated it's a tragic event it's horrific and we all hope it never happens again anywhere we all know that it will unfortunately though we all know that it will that school violence will continue but stories like this give us at least a glimmer of hope that even in those darkest moments when you can see nothing but the flicker of flames on the walls around you There is a guardian angel beside you, leading you to the safety of light. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. (laughs) 